0: Our story begins 25 years ago in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these seven seals were. Then, war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravella Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home. That remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, Battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome back to Tales from the Outlands. My name is Christian Hoffer. I am the dungeon master of the Outlands campaign, and you are listening to a podcast about that Dungeons & Dragons campaign. So, for those of you who have never listened to this podcast, uh, uh, Tales from the Outlands is about an 18-person Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Uh, Every episode, uh, with the exception of a few, we tried to bring on a, a couple of people from the show. The first, as always, I'm joined by Luke Herr, who is a player in the campaign and is also the producer of this podcast. Good evening, everybody. And then we like to rotate in different players uh, from the campaign. And this week we are joined once again by Mike Bartlett.
1: Woo! Hello, hello, everyone. Uh,
0: So uh, it has been a hot minute since we last recorded a podcast. There's a few reasons for that. Uh, The Outlands has been a hop in place over the last uh, three or so weeks. Also just about everyone has their uh, at least one dose of their vaccine in. Um I'm pretty sure every everyone has at least one dose. So um we kind of had a lot of um you know people coming and going because uh you know everyone was getting knocked on their butts by those side effects. Uh but um you know enough about our personal health what you want to listen to is the out, uh, is us talking about the Outlands campaign.
2: And, if you enjoy listening to us talking about the Outlands campaign, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever other system you, uh, you know, whatever else you listen to your podcasts on. And if you want to reach out, make sure to use our Twitter account
0: to do that. Yes, which is at OutlandsPod. Uh, so... Uh, this is a little bit of a different kind of Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Most Dungeons & Dragons podcasts are actual play podcasts where you listen to people play Dungeons & Dragons. We do not play Dungeons & Dragons on this podcast. Uh, the other kind of Dungeons & Dragons podcasts are podcasts about Dungeons & Dragons, podcasts that talk about the mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons, talk about D&D news, talk about D&D theorycraft, We're not that either, really. You know, think of this as a few of you sitting down with a few of your friends uh, and listening to them talk about their wild and crazy Dungeons and Dragons adventures. Now, every uh, episode, uh, we split the podcast into two-ish parts. Uh, We always talk about what uh, has been going on in the D&D. Uh, campaign itself and also we try to feed a little bit of lore talk a little bit about the backstory and back history uh, of all the moving parts that are involved with this very large very sprawling campaign Uh, so without further ado we should probably dive right into things Um, unless anyone else can think of any reason not to um talk about some uh, almost death experiences, some actual death experiences, and some, um, well, not death experiences at all.
2: I didn't lose anyone else
0: again. Yeah, well, thank God for that, because otherwise, you know, we'd probably just make you sit in the corner and think about what you've done.
2: I keep populating this universe with new and interesting bits. I am a blessing, a wellspring from
0: which many problems spring from, Christian. Uh, So, previously, (laughs) in the (laughs) Outlands, uh, the Buddy Brigade, our intrepid band of Sunday heroes, were told uh, by uh, the Master of Portals, a uh, powerful member of the bureaucracy in the city of Sigil, um, to retrieve a promise stone. A, uh, kind of stone connected to some sort of ancient ritual. Wait, wait. Did
2: you say sigil?
0: No, I said, yeah, sigil. yes. Yeah, so I said, right, right?
2: No, oh, it's sigil. Ah, oh,
0: crap. Yeah. I broke... Someone's broke... gonna
2: get their skin flayed by the Lady of Pain. Ouch.
0: Uh, man. Uh, you got me. Uh, sigil. <laughs> you buy your own petard again. Uh... We'll edit that out in post.
2: Uh... <laughs> no, we won't.
0: <laughs> Anyways, uh, so the Buddy Brigade was, uh, was given a mission to retrieve a promised stone from the top of Storm Mountain. And for doing this uh, relatively mundane task, uh, the Master of Portals agreed to give them access to the Hall of Hearts, uh, a, uh, a a place Uh, controlled by the Lord of Skulls, and we'll dive into why that place is so important to so many players uh, in the campaign in a little bit. Uh, Additionally, the Feyrim, the uh, kind of big bad of the campaign, uh, have had these mysterious heralds, these uh, beings of elemental power uh, that take the forms of great animals, uh, and they have been spotted throughout the Outlands, uh, kind of pestering the company um, and harrying them at various turns, each of which seem to have uh, their own purposes and uh, plots. Uh, We've met uh, three so far. Uh, Barum Barum, uh, the Quake Hoof, uh, Nyaro, the hissing wind, a giant goose made of ice and snow, and uh, the uh, Bone Taker, who actually broke away from the Faerim, But these heralds have been kind of lurking in the background. Uh, also, uh, Braum, our uh, psionic fighter, uh, has uh, an apprentice. He arrived in the Outlands to search for his apprentice Onakin, uh, and has discovered that Onikin has not only been investigating the Arms of Paradise, a strange cult connected to the Feyrim. Uh, he has also uh, accessed the Mechanical Gorge, which is the location of one of the seals that we talk about in our introduction. Uh finally, uh Mara Islat, a servant of the powerful Lich, the Lord of Skulls, has arrived at the Outlands at the invitation of the company, uh, not uh who did not know of her connections to the Lich. Uh Mara has some sort of former relationship with the Ware Shark Ree, and uh, you know, has been seemingly spying on the company on behalf of the Lord of Skulls, what her motivations are are unclear also the summer of blood approaches
2: can i add in one more thing there that will be relevant for tonight sure malkador and cleaver r.i.p we don't care about cleaver anymore cleaver's relevance will never return i'm definitely sure uh returned from a time in the shadowfell (laughs) But Malkador's reappearance is being kept hidden from the majority of the company beyond the Buddy Brigade because of connections.
0: So let's let us talk. Let us open up the discussion for tonight. Let's jump right into the thick of things. Um, let's talk about Malkador once again. Uh, so, Mike, how, how has Malkador been doing since his return from the Shadowfell?
1: You know, it, it, it's been an interesting time for Malcador. I think, and, and even his uh, disappearance was maybe poorly timed uh, from uh, a convenience to the Buddy Brigade perspective, but nevertheless, he, he has returned. And, and the major revelation for uh, a small crowd, uh, almost a small army that had come to meet Cleaver and Malkador, um, Malkador really laid it all out there. Uh, which is that, you know, as, as a warlock, he has, for for this for his whole time in the Outlands, been drawing his own powers from the Lord of Skulls, uh, and in fact had some key insights that other party members were missing about, about Mara and other, you know, folks in the Outlands. Um, so he's, you know, uh, really the team has been trying to um, wrap a neat bow around this uh, existential lich problem, um, and that really describes, uh, everything we've been doing in a lot of very lengthy and angsty conversations, uh, over the past several weeks. Yeah, you
0: know, that's, that's my favorite part was, you know, the Lord of Skulls problem, uh, has kind of been haunting the Buddy Brigade in particular, basically since the beginning of this year. Um, and yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's. And then, you know, the Lord of Skulls has been kind of lurking in the background for even, even longer than that. But, you know, it seems like that has been a very direct problem for the better part of four months. And, uh... and, and in large part, you know, this was
1: brought, to, you know, it had nothing to do with any of us. It had everything to do with one red dragon uh, who is pretty keen on us. <laughs> uh mara was able to obtain because she was uh you know former paramour of a were shark as you do um she she um was able to get uh ashmaker's scale which uh put the party in the position of uh we really have this really powerful ally uh that we can't use because uh he could get turned into you know an undead dragon a draco or something worse uh at a moment's notice.
0: So after several weeks, more like several months of kind of, uh, beating around the bush, uh, Malkador, uh, decided to confront Mara. Now, Malkador himself, um, you know, as, as we mentioned, is also an unwilling servant of the Lord of Skulls, and so has kind of a, uh, in with Mara, and, uh, you know, I was a little bit surprised by your play here, Malkador, or Mike. God, I'm just calling you by your character name. Uh what what what, what did you decide to do about this whole Mara situation? So so Malcador is,
1: for all his uh, you know, glam and you know Hutzpah, he, he he's very much a an honest operator. He, like many others, is an unwilling servant. He he was tasked by the Lord of Skulls to come to the Outlands to learn about the seals. And once Malkador really learned what the seals sealed, um, he, he realized that even if it, you know, cost him his life, um, he he cannot serve the Lord of Skulls. And and so he has really been focused on, okay, how do I, uh, how do you break a deal with a lich? Easy, easy kind of stuff. So, Um, He suspected, or rather his leap of faith was that Mara was ultimately in a similar type of position, that it probably wasn't her first choice to serve a lich. Uh, And so he confronted her. Uh, He had actually been concealing his existence, his return to the Outlands from everyone else. Um, As far as everyone else knew, Malkador was dead. Um, But he... uh, Revealed himself to Mara in the library uh, in a quiet space and and laid his cards on the table. You know, Malkador had identified a plan uh, or, you know, uh, he thinks it was a very solid plan. Um, Others might have disagreed with how solid his plan was. (laughs) Uh, But but he he thought he had a way to free himself uh, from the service of a lich. And he still thinks that whether that's true or not and he he laid it out all in front of mara and um thankfully she did not immediately tell the lord of skulls and get me killed that's true
0: now you were uh, 75% right about mara being an unwilling servant of the lich she she did not she was not a uh, enthusiastic servant let's let's put it that way however Unlike in your scenario in which Malkador and I suppose this is uh, when we talk a little bit about Malkador's past, uh Malkador, you were kind of put in a would you like to be undead or mostly alive? Um that wasn't quite the same case with Mara. No.
1: So 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 Malkador, you know, as a young adventurer Uh, was doing as many young adventurers do and delving into crypts without much care for who or what may be in those crypts and, and found himself and, and a former adventuring party captured by an incredibly powered lich who um, for whatever reason, you know, he, he murdered his, his other, his partners, but for whatever reason, looked at Malkador and gave him that offer. Um, you will either serve me in death or you can serve me right now. Uh, either way, um, you know, better to be alive, I guess. That was Malkador's calculus. Um, and he still, at the same time, he lost his heart. Uh, that's the price you pay for service of the Lich. He takes your heart and puts it in the very aptly named Hall of Hearts. Uh, however, we learn that, uh, the Lord of Skulls had even greater leverage over Mara. um that it, it, it was really quite a, a revelation when this came out. Uh but yeah. has a child. Um yeah. a child with uh the the current wereshark Shark, erstwhile, you know, previous not wereshark Shark, Re. Um, and that the Lord of Skulls is in possession of that child.
0: So to kind of connect the dots here, because uh there's a lot of uh this this was a multi-layered revelation. So Mara, um, you know, basically what happened was uh, Re originally was a scholar, kind of a, um, you know, a little bit of a dweeb, for lack of a better term. He was smart, you know, not the most physically gifted um, and um, a little bit of an introvert and uh, had waited for years and this kind of like awkward courtship of Mara uh uh to to finally make his move and when he did uh it turned into a beach date unfortunately that be- beach date was marred uh by a shark attack in which uh, re rescued mara uh from near certain death at the hands of a shark and w- was unfortunately mauled by a shark um when re made a recovery uh him and mara um sh- let's just say um uh down t-ka, down t-ka, down down okay well that was you know a lot less subtle than what i was going for but sure
2: i'll, I'll edit it out and put in the seinfeld do. <laughs> that might be even worse uh <laughs> um
0: and um you know it was uh it it was supposed to be the first of many times. And unfortunately shortly thereafter rediscovered that he turned into the shark uh, turned into a shark on the full, when the full moon came out. So he was forced to flee the city, leaving Mara who discovered then uh, through really just poor luck that she was pregnant, pregnant with a were shark baby. Now, Mara is also a scholar and her specialty was actually uh, studying the Lord of Skulls who she suspected was more than just a uh, semi-mythical figure from the ancient past. And she actually was able to track the Lord of Skulls, this powerful magician down because she could not find another solution to the were shark growing inside of her. Um, the Lord of Shark uh the the Lord of Sharks. Uh the Lord of Skulls was able to that's uh, next campaign. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh that's his uh cousin. Um No, that's what the boy will be. Uh that's well, a little girl. Um, oh. so uh the Lord of Skulls was able to not only um, you know, successfully deliver the were Shark baby, uh he was able to use his vast arcane knowledge to at least um still, uh, the, the were-shark curse, if not totally negate it, um, but, um, Mara made a deal with a super powerful lich, and that's never a good thing, and that is basically the situation that, uh, Malkador found her in.
1: So our, you know, already tall order of having to break into a lich's demiplane and retrieve some hearts and a dragon scale... Uh, turned into uh, breaching a lich's vault and also his palace to find a human baby being raised by a succubus. Uh, And, you know, one assumes with a being as ancient as this, uh, there's probably just tons of uh, human and half-human critters running around in there. So, uh, you know, pretty light lift though, all told.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, also the Summer of Blood approaches. So this, you know, uh, you know, if we were really to dive into like the Lord of Skulls and like explore his entire brass citadel, um, you know, that could be like a full campaign in and of itself. You know, you guys are basically getting like the sampler of the uh of the Lord of Skulls. Um and uh we'll see what you uh make off with. Uh you know, when when you get to slash get out of the Hall of Hearts. Um, it, it's the classic smash and grab
1: that uh, always ends, and that always ends up super great for for us.
0: Yeah, I was about to say that was that's basically that's how the buddy brigade started, and thus it would be poetic if that is how the buddy brigade ended. <laughs> Although
1: you know, at least uh, I am more confident. I'm not 100% confident, but I'm more confident that we probably will not commit a war crime this time
0: yeah probably not uh no promises um you know the lord of skulls you know i i i will say you know that the lord of skulls he he's got a lot of you know he has a very particular interest in the outlands and um you know there have been some clues dropped as to uh why he might be so interested in the outlands um which um you know i'm sure we'll find out that more in the next few weeks um but no it,
1: it's it's the perfect storm where the people who could connect the dots haven't shared amongst themselves so
0: yeah yeah well it's uh like i said uh next next month or so it's going to be super interesting um <laughs> we'll dive we'll dive into how the buddy brigade got access to the hall of hearts here in a little bit but first let's talk a little bit about what some of our other groups have been up to uh so we'll we'll start things off by talking about the terror team uh now this is the uh, kind of the uh old guard so to speak of the outlands campaign they were the first group of adventurers and they are best known for killing things. And so they have decided as the Summer Blood approaches that the best thing to do, and also this might also coincide with some of their uh, personal goals, uh, is they want to thin the herd of allies of the Feyrim. Uh, And that means killing off the arms of Paradise and also the Heralds. So uh, they have spent the last uh, month or so uh, kind of going and, on a very, very notable, uh, noted, uh, anti-Herald streak. So their first mission was they discovered that the Arms of Paradise was looking to summon the final Herald uh, from uh, the Elemental Plane of Salt and had located kind of a semi-permanent portal uh, to the Elemental Plane of Salt where Harju, uh, the Drying Death, uh, resides. Uh, So the terror team went to the wastes of pain to basically cut the arms of paradise off and kill them and stop the summoning from taking place. Uh, When they encountered a caravan of the arms of paradise, the terror team did what the terror team does best. And that is kill cultists. Unfortunately, it was a trap. Uh, It was all a plot by the arms of paradise. They sacrificed their own members to basically make the terror team look bad to the scorpion folk, the uh, uh, group who was uh, guarding uh, the the salt pillar. Uh, now, luckily, you know, this forced the, the terror team to um, do less of the stabby-stabby and more of the being helpful and thinking, uh, what can we do for others? And so they spent a lot of time uh, trying to... Um, repair their reputation with the scorpion folk and they actually succeeded because you know the uh you know the terror team actually have a lot of talents that don't involve murder um eventually uh the arms of paradise grew impatient they kidnapped a scorpion folk forcibly extracted the information of where uh this uh portal was located at and uh that led to a big battle between uh two truth seekers and uh, the the terror team. Now the truth seekers are the strange arms of paradise members. They wear uh, different styles of masks, and they have extra powers. And because of that, uh, unfortunately, Selman actually died during the fight. Uh, the party's wizard um, when the battle was over, and it literally came down to the wire, uh, as in literally the very last turn. Our very last round before Harju would be summoned, they, the uh, terror team was able to stop the ritual. Um, they were able to resurrect Selman and, uh, you know, basically stopped the uh, stopped this ritual. And in the aftermath, they, uh, you know, gained the uh, allegiance of the Scorpion folk who will assist the company when the Summer of Blood comes. Um so after that I also you know we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the scorpion folk later tonight because the scorpion folk have a uh interesting connection uh to uh what we'll be talking about in our lore section. Um so Ooh. This. Uh so after that uh the uh terror team decided that it was time to basically kill these heralds. They had um for one thing Um, Solstice, uh, one of the party's clerics, his entire task is basically to kill a herald. That was his personal quest. And so they needed to, in order to do that, they needed herald killing weapons. Now, early, very early on, the uh, terror team got a sword known as the Sword of Many Waves. And they learned that it was actually crafted to kill um, heralds. And so they basically needed to uh, transform the sword from its default state into its herald killing state. And in order to do that, they needed to go to the Still Lake. Um, From there, um, they uh, basically went into a small building, placed the uh, sword on top of a thing known as the Throne of Water. They were briefly teleported to the elemental plane of water, may have met up with an elemental prince of water, Um, and transformed the Sword of Many Waves into the Great Sword of Many Typhoons. Uh, That has good effects, namely it can kill Heralds. The bad news is the Heralds now want to kill uh, the terror team. From there, they decide to go and retrieve another Herald killing weapon, the Glaive of Many Stones, and that was located in a place known as the Ox Temple, located in the Step Canyons. Uh, During that uh, mission, they indeed fought some of the Herald's avatars um, and uh, also nearly lost a party member when Roboto got petrified by a Gorgon statue. Uh, Gorgons in Dungeons & Dragons are not Medusas. Uh, They actually are kind of these stone bulls that are tied, or not stone, metal bulls that are tied to uh, European folklore. Um, Luckily, Roboto was uh, unpetrified Using one of the glaive of many stones, uh, side of uh, side abilities. So, now they what's going to happen next is they are going to take the glaive and turn that into a herald killing weapon and then go and kill some heralds. So, that's what the terror team has been up to. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what the buddy brigade was up to. You know, since we last recorded a podcast, the buddy brigade's only been on one mission. What have you guys been up to? What is taking you so long? Come on.
2: You know, if you're going to do something right, you gotta, you gotta take your time. You gotta go to the big old mountain because you know that there's supposedly a seal. Well, you gotta go to the big old mountain because you gotta, you gotta get the top rock off a pile of rocks. And when you're going up that mountain... You find out that it's protected by a series of electrical barriers that are keeping rockverns out. But some of those rock rockverns have uh, been able to destroy the barriers, so you got to fight them. And then you find a weirdly abandoned building outside of a temple where the Seal of Fire is being kept in a bunch of mysterious holes that, are being, that have been bored into it.
1: It's all about rocks at the end of the day, uh, mm-hmm. whether a, a seal-shaped rock or uh, just a normal axe rock that happens to be the tallest point in the Outlands.
2: So we found out that we had uh, basically gone halfway up the mountain and were outside of the Gauntlet of oh, Blades. Oh. Well, Luke,
1: why, why did we, what, we're, what did we set out to get from the mountain and why?
2: Oh, right. We needed to retrieve the Promise Stone from a pile of rocks at the top of the mountain. Because we need to trade that for the key to get into the Hall of Hearts to then get your heart and
1: also to steal a baby. Yes, we found the only, well, maybe not the only, but the the most surefire way to get into the Hall of Hearts was through a portal in, in Sigil, where all portals live. Uh, in a previous expedition to Sigil, we learned that the only way the Portal Master uh, was going to give us the key to the Hall of Hearts was if he had the rock from the tallest mountain in the Outlands, this this so-called Promise Stone, which sent us on a very long, far journey uh, up a very tall mountain.
2: And uh, so, yeah, we got halfway up to it and found the uh, entrance to the Gauntlet of Blades, which... We knew was the place where the Elemental Seal of Fire was being kept. And we decided, oh, well, if we can get through the gala and get the seal, then we can come back with two victories, and that's going to be great. The problem was there were mysterious holes that had been bored into it, and as we ventured into it, the majority of the traps had been turned off. And we found out the reason why was because a beholder had set up camp, had captured some of the Unjanath, and were forcing them to basically do a extreme makeover home edition in this temp- in this uh, gauntlet turning it into a temple to him and that was when we decided to try and find if there's a way that we can steal that seal mike you want to go
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, Malkador is maybe that in some ways the sneakiest because he was literally invisible. Um, So, you know, we we had made made our way through this labyrinth, this maze and and come to a large room. The issue was that the bottom of the room, the the point of interest was, you know, 60 to 80 feet down a, a ladder. Um, So not wanting to all get stuck down there, Malkador elected to go first um, and be invisible and try and talk to the, uh, you know, the Unjanoth slaves, these elven slaves at the bottom of this pit. Um, And he did. And he he began, you know, whispering to them while invisible in hushed tones. And they, uh, for some reason, kept saying, flee, please run, go away, don't be here. Uh, and then Malcador, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, unfoolishly or foolishly, uh, you know, in hindsight, uh, said a certain word. Uh, he said the word seal, uh, which caused a uh, rather uh, large and angry as they tend to be, uh, beholder to appear uh, through through a kind of magical fire in the room. And suddenly, Uh, Malkador found himself uh, face-to-face alone in front of a Beholder.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of the party saw the Beholder exit and was like, okay, uh, what are we going to do? Because it's probably not the best idea to go down and rescue him because there's like 300 feet of ladder that we have to climb down and we don't know how we can get Malkador out because there's an anti-magic field and while we were having this discussion, Malkador is basically trying to turn invisible to get out of there before getting
1: murdered to death.
2: And then we all saw Malkador die.
1: Yes. yes. Uh, so Malkador, um, you know, just, just so players at home uh, get a sense uh, not only do I, Mike, roll terribly just in general, but Malkador has only has one uh, skill that he has better than a plus three in. He is a very, very poorly optimized warlock, bless his heart. Um, and, and so it was maybe unsurprising when three uh, I-beams came in and uh, utterly uh, <laughs> uh, it, it ended his poor life, uh, theoretically. Um, it was only later that Christian and I, uh, realized that the interactions between anti-magic cone and invisibility are quite, uh, complicated and unintuitive, uh, so more or less, Malkador was able to, uh, hide from, from this beholder and fake his death through the use of his various illusion magics, and, and only, you know, later, uh, uh, re-meet with a party who very quickly ran away, didn't try and help, just immediately uh, fled the scene.
2: <laughs> yeah, because we were told, "Oh, you'll be able to come back here with an army to fight this beholder that has a seal of fire instead of one of its normal eye stalks." Yeah, no, we were more than happy to get out of there. But then we did find out that oh, Malkador survived. That's great. Now let's go and get up that rock. Oh. Uh, the, the shrine that's supposed to be up at the rock has a gate that's been smashed, and we can't find these rocks we are supposed to get. Luckily, the Faithful, the new paladin character, knew that they needed to get rocks, knew that we didn't necessarily trust the gatekeeper, key master, whatchamacallit, in Sigil. And so... We were able to, using a lot of magic and a lot of grace from Christian, reconstruct the gateway so we could walk through and take the top rock off of the stack, which we found out belonged to the artist formerly known as the Lady of Blades. Well, well you kind of walked over the
1: part where we all started, you know, trying to spill our own blood in the off chance that that was oh, yeah. enough magic to get this portal to open.
2: Yeah, it really was a team effort <laughs> to tire out Christian enough to say, yeah, no, you got the gate working.
0: <laughs> well, all you had to do was just build a doorway. This is not... This is not that hard of a concept. it wasn't that <laughs> wasn't that complex of a puzzle. It was like, oh no uh some some entity likely made of I don't know lightning and ash, you know went and destroyed the gate. How are you going to rebuild it? It was just you know it was like, I don't know, let's everyone slash the wrists I mean Chris for the gate god. You're you're talking to the party that
1: spent, you know, 30 minutes arguing about what to do with some door hinges we found.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The party that spent, like, 15 minutes trying to figure out, well, should we go in and save Malkador and risk our lives or leave him to die in the bit with the Beholder? You
0: know, my, my favorite part about the arguing over what to do about Malkador, was Malkador was literally, like, down there. Like, I like to think of, like, you know, Malkador is, like, you know, running around, getting, like, disintegration beams, like, shot at him left and right. And, like, you know, meanwhile, the rest of the party is, like, I don't know what we should do. Should we leave him? Should we go? And like, you know, Malkador is like ducking and bobbing and, you know, dodging the boulder the race. We, as someone's Malkador. pulled up
1: a little seed and is
0: like leaning back. He's like, well,
2: on the one hand, the faithful did want to go down and save Malkador, but was explicitly forbidden from doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know,
2: he probably would have not helped.
0: Probably not. But ultimately, Ultimately, you guys were able to find uh the the promised stones left behind by the Sharn pantheon um the gods who used to walk um, uh among the outlands uh and so uh you know you were given some um pretty straightforward instructions just to retrieve the stone, mm-hmm. and you guys managed to somehow needlessly complicate things once again.
2: we did uh so we took the first rock off but then ellie uh monk ellie specifically slash half god on her way to ascending into full deityhood ellie decided to put a stone on sort of representing all of us and made a promise that she would protect the outlands as much as she could. I forget the
1: exact phrasing.
2: <laughs> that was when Christopher was like, what are you doing? Well, no. well,
1: you know, we thought we were just kind of going through the motions and appeasing some angry, you know, deities who drops we had just messed with. Uh, yeah. Well, little, little did we know that uh, there there would be consequences to our actions.
2: Yeah, like the faithful just trying to be the rules dickery Paladin that he is did stick multiple rocks on himself just so they could also be the top rock to try and bring in case we were not going to uh, trust the person on the receiving end. But yeah, uh, Ellie goes up and with her full gratitude makes a promise to protect the Outlands, and then lightning crackles, part in the sky, sunbeams down, and it's like, oh well what
1: have you done here and this is the same uh demigod slash wife of mine um who um who we only barely got through the city of sigil the first time through clever usage of of some spells uh that that was quite a way for many of us to learn that she was uh a demigod
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure in the next episode we will get to covering the side effects of that. But for now, if you want to send in your bets to what happened, go and message those to Christian on Twitter at at SeahofferSeabus. Very nice. Or me at at Coltrick, K-O-L-T-R-E-G, because I'm no longer on private mode.
0: Uh, So, while the Buddy Brigade climbed a mountain... Uh, the third and final group in the Outlands, uh, the uh, Toon Squad, who play on Tuesday, they also had a busy couple of weeks. Um, and their quest uh, involved uh, two things. Uh, actually, it all kind of tied together. So uh, during their last mission, they received an urgent summons from Onekin. uh the psionically gifted apprentice of brahm who is a fighter in that party now Onikin had came come to the outlands after learning that there was some sort of conspiracy linking the arms of paradise to uh the order that he and On- uh he and brahm belonged to uh which is a group known as the order of the unseen eye and Onikin uh found out that the order had um either been in league with the Arms of Paradise or had somehow manipulated events in order to uh, push a uh, some poor, unfortunate soul and push him into the Outlands. Uh, this poor, unfortunate soul uh, was the former Outlands adventurer, Kor. Uh, Onakin learned that apparently the Order had been watching Kor for quite some time, had been keeping tabs on him, and had basically kind of um paved the way for core to end up in the outlands without really understanding what was going on um and so he went to the outlands to search for core only to discover too late that Kor had become possessed uh by a pharim, one of these ancient evil creatures uh now Since then, Onekin had kind of uh, been trying to keep tabs on the Arms of Paradise, and he decided to find Kor's somewhat secret lair located deep, deep in the Outlands and try to figure out what the Feyrim and the Arms of Paradise and Kor's plan was. And so that led to a summons uh, by Onekin to the Toon Squad. Now, the Toon Squad met Onikin at the Still Lake, uh, actually just days before uh, the uh, terror team arrived there. And they discovered that Onikin was in awful shape as he literally had a Faerim growing inside of him. And it was like basically this visible thing uh, underneath his skin kind of sticking out of his uh, one side. Now, Onikin was convinced that he was dying, and for good reason, because he had a, like, doom maggot uh, kind of um, growing inside of him. And so his plan was he was going to try to uh, kill Kor um, using a creature that lurked at the bottom of the still lake kind of as uh, a weapon to kill Kor and one, like, final act of glory to try to stop this Summer of Blood from happening. However, the Toon Squad went and convinced Oniken instead to go and receive treatment from the Tusculi, uh, this group of bee people, who uh, you know, were also enemies of the Faerim and um whose honey seemed to be poisoned to the Faerim. Um so Onekin agreed to go to the pyramid uh for healing, and uh the Toon Squad meant um they they received one piece of valuable information and one very valuable item. the The information they learned was that the arms of paradise, the entire organization, hundreds of cultists, uh, many of whom were not aware of the arm. Their organizations tied to literally creatures that are trying to consume all of reality. All of the arms members. Have eggs inside of them, and it seems that like Core is instead of allowing those Feyrim to grow, seems to be holding them in reserve as part of some plan. And Core seems to be able to control their growth somehow. The item that they retrieved um, was the basically the keys to get into the mechanical gorge. The which is the site of another one of the Seven Seals, this one being the Seal of Order. And they found also Kor's soul, his original soul. Yes, I totally forgot that. At least a portion of Kor's soul. A portion soul. Of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A portion. Oh,
1: Jesus. <laughs> that, that was um, a fun session to listen in on because... Uh, you know, I was only listening to it, but I imagine that when they came up with a harebrained scheme scheme to to take him to the the get the honey, uh, you just having to crumple up several pages of battle notes for what would have been a very cool encounter.
0: Yeah, no, that what, that encounter was supposed to be. So you know, the Still Lake. Uh, I guess I can talk about this a little bit because I think I brought it up to the Toon Squad. So the 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 Still Lake is actually uh the resting site of uh Og-Kir's physical remains Ogkire being the two-tailed whale deity uh that the Sahughan worship and has ties to the elemental plane of water um uh, now Ogkire was not always a god uh as you know creatures can descend and during the first war with the Faerum Ogkire um sacrificed himself uh likely to create the seal of water and p- basically uh became a god of water instead. And so Ogir's physical remains uh are located in the depths of the Still Lake, uh which is a unnatural lake that um the, the, the water does not move. Uh even, you know, there are no waves in the Still Lake. And so basically Onikin's original plan was he had uh he has these kind of uh gourd like devices um, that he is able to use to um, kind of attract certain large creatures that lurk in the outlands. And apparently one of them is tied to Ogkire's physical remains. And so he was planning on using that. Um, and uh, that was supposed to be there's going to be a big battle between Kor uh, and Ogkire, and which um, you know would kind of establish just how powerful core is. And uh, meanwhile, the rest of the party, uh was going to go and um fight uh baby Faram. And so yeah, didn't get to do any of that. Instead, Sorry. uh instead Onikin be basically became uh the Outlands version of the Winter Soldier.
1: So Well he's gonna come back instead of like a metallic arm, it's gonna be awesome B stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. We uh me me and Jamie uh, who plays Brom? We had a big laugh over the fact that he's basically, um, you know, this this vaguely defined apprentice has now become both Anakin Skywalker and also uh, Bucky Barnes. Um, and just a very, it's like, well, we're just playing Grace hits. You know, what is Dungeons and Dragons if not, um, you know, love
2: persisting?
0: <laughs> no, Luke. Yeah, damn it i'm going to drive over to where you are and smack you for that
2: that's fine i am fully vaccinated as of tuesday um i appreciate physical contact
0: anyways so uh now that the group had the keys to uh the mechanical gourd, they decided to go in um bringing with them a modron uh that they had found uh, on uh, the Clockwork Army's submarine. And so uh, they they went and, you know, did a few things in the mechanical gorge. They basically fought a giant pinball machine, solved a couple of puzzles, and eventually came to the infinite statue, um, which basically resembled this uh, continuously shifting and undulating um, stack of rings uh, the Madron uh, went over and um, immediately uh, interacted with the infinite statue and seemed to somehow cause the infinite statue to um, deactivate um, which you know would allow the seal uh, the party to retrieve the seal unfortunately uh, it was at that moment that Cartram uh, the vampire who has uh, been a thorn in the side to both the Buddy Brigade, and the Toon Squad, uh, Cartram's Vampire Knight, showed up um, and uh, tried to kill the party and retrieve the seal. As uh, Apparently, the vampires knew that uh, the Toon Squad was coming. Uh, There was a very tight fight. Um, At one point in time, literally half of the Toon Squad was unconscious. um, But... Uh the, the Toon Squad managed to pull pull out a victory. It was very, very close. Um like basically literally it had come down to um the uh the only players left standing were the the party's Wizard Ferris, Jackmander, the uh warlock, and uh, Zark the Fighter and the vampiric knight had a, uh, ability that basically could deal out a lot of necrotic damage all at once. And, um, if, um, you know, a few rolls had not gone their way, um, the entire party could have gotten TPK'd. It was, it was another really close call for the, the toon squad, but they managed to win. They killed the vampire knight and they retrieved the seal of order. So the, the, uh, The company has now two seals um, in their possession slash under their control. Uh, Now, since uh, the Toon Squad, uh, since the Outlands campaign, this current campaign is starting to wind down and coming to its climax, uh, the Toon Squad also received uh, one of the first hints of some of the threats that they might be facing uh, or some new adventurers will be facing in a few years. As the Madron... Uh, informed them of, um, the Imprisoned Children, some sort of group or strange entity uh, that would be arriving in the Outlands in five years' time. So, you know, um, you know, originally the Imprisoned Children was probably going to be a fall-winter thing, but we're, uh, kicking the can a little bit, and that's going to be a, uh, that's going to be a campaign two problem.
2: So. Well, yeah, because right now they're just imprisoned babies. Or something. Uh,
1: But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. Listen, we, we make enough of our own problems without, you know, needing extra planar help. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, just give us two pieces. Tell us never to put them together and you will have... Yeah, like that's five months of campaign right then and there.
0: Yeah. You know, that's before
1: we even leave the outpost.
0: So it's it's really funny. I, I have a pretty decent idea as to what the, uh, you know, two of my campaign plots are going to be uh, for uh, campaign two. Um, and I'm still like debating on Buddy Brigade stuff. There's so many... Um, uh, possibilities as to what the primary uh, threat will be. Actually, I, I I do think I know which one I'm going to stick you guys with. Um, that that's not quite true. The no. big bad's finally going to be Doctor Worm's backstory. <laughs> well, you know, Doctor Worm's backstory is is basically the Shadow Court. Is you know, uh, he he got experimented on by Mind Flayers, and um, so you know, we're we're probably going to make you know, just say those same group of Mind Flayers are, uh, you know, now control the Feywild. And, you know, we've, we've mentioned, it is no secret that the Shadow Court is going to be the big threat of the campaign too, uh, which was always the intent. You know, they were always going to be the next big bads after the kind of seal stuff kind of resolved itself. Um, you know, uh, there will always be groups going after the seals, but, you know, the Feyrim, you know, uh, basically just need to stay in their hole. Um, and so after, after the favor, kind of, um, quieted down, you know, the shadow court was going to be the next big bad thing. And so, you know, the big difference is, is kind of developing three less connected campaigns that all exist within the outlands and, you know, um, trying to decide which groups are going to do what. So I, I think I know, um, what, um, most of the groups are going to do. It'll be fun. It'll be it'll be interesting. We'll 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 do that in the summer, um, you know, after the summer of blood resolves itself. So, anyways, that's that's what's happened at the Outlands, um, you know, over the last few weeks. So, uh, yeah, that we... Christian, like I've been saying,
1: if the summer of blood goes south, you know, we can just do our post-apocalyptic dark sun setting.
0: Yeah, uh Jamie would be very happy about that if we if we went full Dark Sun. He he tried to get a Dark Sun like 5e campaign off the ground and it didn't happen. Um so you know, he would be very very thrilled if uh we figured out a way to Dark Sun it up.
2: The real Dark Sun is the magic we lost along the way.
0: <laughs> <sighs> uh, but you know, speaking of deep lore, that has ties to, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons core lore. Let's go and talk about. Uh, well, Mike, what what is our lore topic for this evening?
1: It is the Lady of Pain, who we have very recently uh, learned has some some deep ties to the Outlands and is actually a, a mysterious. Well, well, I should say a figure that uh, frequently did not. Appear. Uh, we have, over the course of these, you know, many adventures, uh, learned a lot about the the Sharn pantheon, those living gods that once walked the lands and initially sealed the Feyrim away in the beginning. Uh, but what we often encountered was, uh, you know, there would be a number of gods on a number of plinths, and then a missing plinth uh, somewhere where a, a god had been erased, and uh, we've learned. Only recently, just just a little bit, just a smattering of who who that person entity was and what became of them. Uh, you know, nominally the other members of the Sharn pantheon still have active cults, but there was nothing known about uh, the, the, this missing deity until now, and she is no no other than the Lady of Pain in the city of Sigil. Quite a revelation.
0: Yes. So uh the Lady of Pain was always going to be part of the Outlands campaign. Uh she was always intended to be this missing deity with ties to the Outlands. You know, uh the Lady of Pain comes from uh you know actual Dungeons and Dragons lore. Uh she is the uh canonical uh ruler of Sigil um and is you know very explicitly you know stated that she is not a god and she hates the gods but she is as powerful as a god. And other than that, her her backstory is left deliberately vague in um, you know, D&D canon basically to allow uh, you know, DMs the opportunity to kind of uh mold her, you know, mysterious past into what they want. And so I decided uh pretty early on that I wanted the lady of pain to have once been a god uh who during the course of this great war against the faerum became something else um so uh you know the interesting thing about her journey to becoming something else is you know once again there are a lot of clues as to who uh, was responsible for that transformation and what happened to the person responsible for that transformation. Um, And uh, do, do either of you have any theories about all of that or is that revel, you know, uh, is that a revelation in and of itself?
1: Well, I I think the extent of the information I have is that, you know, the lady of pain and her previous guys was the, if not wife, you know, exactly. She was the Hera to the, to the Zeus that was Falcon, the spirit lord. Uh, you know, the same Falcon, the spirit lord that was father to many of the other gods and also the, you know, great, 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 what have you, of our party's very own demigod, Ellie, played by Shea. Um, and, and so, you know, I think what Malkador thinks um, is, or, or what it seems like the case is that, the Lady of Pain really did not care for Falcon's philandering, but also didn't care for the fact that Falcon sacrificed himself and was quite resentful of that. And as a result, um, only begrudgingly said she would protect the Outlands and then worked uh, at no small cost to herself to disentangle herself from that vow and from that whole family and everything to do with Falcon.
0: That that's that's pretty pretty accurate. Um, you know, Falcon uh, you know, and one of the great uh ironies, so to speak. Uh Falcon gave the Thunderplate his uh magical armor with the ability to absorb lightning uh, you know, and uh at the very least resist it's, you know, resist the damage uh caused by lightning and you know, in rare cases even uh, create a healing effect, you know, by channeling that lightning. And he gave that magical armor to his daughter, uh, who he, his daughter, you know, was not one of the gods, uh, but rather a, uh, a mortal, um, who was, you know, um, Ellie, you know, both Ellie's, uh, Ellie Windrow and, uh, you know, uh, Monk Ellie, uh, their, their, you know, forefather or for you know, mother, I guess, um, uh, forbear ancestor you know um, and so that was kind of the and because he gave the thunderplate to um, his, his mortal daughter uh, during this final confrontation that is what caused Falcon uh, to be killed by Barum Balroom. now this was a sacrifice that was pre-planned it was not an act of hubris on Falcon's behalf um, but you know that entire sequence of events broke the entity formerly known as the lady of pain and caused her to basically find a way to um strip herself of her uh godhood and uh thus uh disentangle herself from the vows that she made to protect the uh, outlands the vows the same vows that now um you know monk ellie now finds herself bound to <laughs> Um, but you know, I, 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 I will say, because we're, we are, um, starting to wrap up this campaign, um, the other major deity that has kind of had a presence in the, um, but not as much deity. She is occasionally worshiped as a God, although her actual Godhood is rather, um, in question. Um, but, um. That deity, uh, I am speaking of the Raven Queen, uh, may have ties to the Lady of Pain. Um, and uh, there, there may be more connections there. And we've, we've seen some hints of that from time to time. The Raven Queen, uh, raven feathers seem to keep on popping up whenever um, various groups find um, links, you know, places where the Sharn Pantheon once trod. Um, but yeah, the Lady of Pain now, uh, is no longer a god. She is the ruler of Sigil, uh, but she does still have some ties to the Outlands, as she is the one who sent, uh, Roka, the barbarian played by our player Chelsea, uh, to the Outlands with a very specific quest to basically turn herself into a living seal. Um, uh, and basically replace one of the broken, you know, one of the seals that, you know, were previously broken.
1: I, I think one of the, like, you know, unanswered questions at this point is that that would help shed some light on some of these questions is kind of what what was the, the Lady of Pains when she was a god? What was her, you know, portfolio, so to speak? You know, we know Kord was a god of thunder. We don't really know um what what the Lady of Pain's whole deal was and that seems like it would shine light on her relationship to the Raven Queen potentially.
2: I mean, canonically if you stand in her shadow you get the flesh ripped off of your body until you get out of that or until you die. So I mean it could very well be shadows.
0: Uh well you know that, that is what the Lady of Pain is now. Um I can I can say that she was not, you know, the goddess of uh shadows. Um, I I can tell you um what she, what what the entity the Lady of Pain was formerly known as um and it kind of explains why her um why she's no longer a god she is a god of honor and loyalty. Ah. Uh. fascinating Uh, well it's like
1: it was there is like a tremendous amount of irony when it so happened you know we had an opening for for one night and it was chelsea who joined us going to sigil so we we had the god of you know the former so so we had you know essentially two god scions on different sides of uh the godly divide in ellie and in uh roca uh all in sigil sigil in the same place uh trying to do the same thing
0: yeah and uh you know the 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 couple of interesting things that i think about the lady of pain is one you know uh she's got this underling the the master of uh portals um who now has this promise stone that once belonged to the lady of pain and you know basically what what's the master portals plan here because clearly he's got some machinations um that he's got in the works um
2: well and he was also willing to make additional deals with uh i'm having a
1: name blank to help him get back home yeah
0: Kovir. oh yeah
1: yeah oh he he's a total snake um uh, mm-hmm. You know, and like Malcador, the character doesn't care so much about that, but you know, Mike, the human, is like mildly concerned about the you know long term implications of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. The the other the other kind of like interesting thing that uh, I, I I think about the Lady of Pain is you know she's kind of got this higher rather tragic story to her um and kind of uh you know would there ever be a situation i i i can say that you know uh the the three other gods of the sharn pantheon are are her children you know and we've we've kind of seen at least you know obviously cord has played a pretty decently sized role in this campaign uh, Atroa and fighting uh, not so much, but you know they've both made appearances in the campaign, um, and it'll be interesting to see you know what would ever happen if the Lady of Pain ever returned to the Outlands for some reason.
1: It's it's very much a, a dysfunctional family. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's there's there there's still some very interesting stories there and how. How how really divorced from the Outlands is the Lady of Pain and is and to what end is the Master of Portals working?
0: Yeah. No, it's uh all of these things may or may not be answered in the next few weeks. Um I I will leave with one juicy little tidbit, um, mm-hmm. you know, um which this kind of has ties to what we'll talk about in the next episode as the buddy brigade ventures into the hall of hearts the master of portals had a uh had access uh to the hall of hearts you know he he doesn't have the ability just to spontaneously create portals wherever he wants you know he uh he needs to make those things which means that he's been in the hall of hearts before which means that uh you know the master of portals uh may know the Lord of Skulls, which means that the Lord of Skulls, you know, may have his own connections to the Lady of Pain.
1: <gasps> well, and he, it's he, the will of, oh, he, 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 he is hinted
0: at much as much directly
1: to us. So that's, um, you know, Malkador can really only process one extra planar thread at a time. So um, that, that's, that's, that'll be very interesting.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I I I think that the Buddy Brigade's uh, trip to the Hall of Hearts, uh, it, it it will be, it will have its own revelations. Uh, you know, obviously, I think that no matter what the outcome, uh, the Outlands has not seen the last of either the Lord of Skulls or the Lady of Pain. Um, and we'll just have to see, um, if anyone can survive. <laughs> when these two entities buddies? can
1: we make more buddies in the least buddy friendly place in the multiverse
0: well you know the, i think the key to that will be go and send um uh you know the faithful to deal with the lady of pain because the faithful can't be flayed
1: ah yeah no i think you know we're we're all thrilled to have a robotic butler and we're we're delighted to just send him first into every room and encounter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's uh that that's, you know, having a robot butler has its uh ha- has its uh perks.
2: I do love just playing a new character with a very different investment once again.
0: <laughs> well, uh And on that note, that is about all the time we have for tonight. So thank you uh, for listening to Tales from from the Outlands. Uh, Thank you to Mike for appearing on this episode. It was a pleasure talking to you, as always.
1: Uh, Right back at
0: you. So, uh, yeah. So, Mike, if uh, people want to uh, follow you on social media, where can they find you?
1: What a great question. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J Mike Bartlett. That's B A R T L E T T.
0: And uh, Luke, what, what about you? Where can people find you on uh, the internet?
2: Well, uh, next week I'm actually going to be recording a podcast where I'll be talking more about Sigil and the whole planescape uh campaign setting as part of the rpg academy i have no idea when that will be going out but i will make sure that i pronounce sigil correctly but if you want to follow me i am completely open and i'm tweeting about new comedy manga from shonen jump on my twitter at at Coltrek, that's k-o-l-t-r-e-g uh you can also go to my website lukehair.com where a lot of my podcasts are just ending because uh we feel the call of the sun and we must return to it but I should have the second series of established property Playhouse starting up soon that's going to be Fallout set in Columbus, Ohio. Christian, where can people find you online?
0: Well, uh if you want to listen to uh if you want to read uh my various articles about Dungeons and Dragons as I cover Dungeons and Dragons news uh you can find those on comicbook.com, which is a CBS Viacom website. Uh you can also find me on Twitter at choffer cbus. Well, and uh on that note, uh that's all the time we have. So thank you once again for listening and uh we'll uh, keep on adventuring.
2: I didn't come up with the outro line this time. Oh wait. And until next time, remember, friends are just enemies who you're going to really roll well on diplomacy and not try and murder. Catch you on the flip mode. <laughs>